Well, let's open up the Word of God together uh, to the book of Philippians, chapter number 1. And uh, uh, we want to get into His Word today and uh, remembering that it is His Word and there's nothing that will stand in the way of the Word of God. Uh, it will go out, and the uh, Isaiah 55, 11 says that His Word will go forth and will not return void. And so we are claiming the promise of God uh, that as we find ways to get His Word out into the uh, uh, social networking and, and on, uh, online, we're going to trust that the Lord will do uh, what He purpose for, purposes for it to, to do. And we're, we're just going to trust Him in that. But Philippians chapter number 1, we're going to uh, take a look at several verses of Scripture here this morning, starting in verse number 12. And having uh, just encouraged, we looked last week at the encouragement that, uh, 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 that Paul had given to the Philippians, uh, the Philippian believers there. Um, he he command, or commended the Philippians for their growing spiritually. And Paul now turns from his rejoicing to their rejoicing. Uh, it's an interesting thing. He starts off this, this letter in Philippians by talking about how he rejoiced in them. And now he's wanting to bring a little bit of a, a better understanding of their rejoicing and how they can uh, rejoice uh, in what's taking place with him. And he begins to remind the, the believers of Philippi how God is in control. Uh, and as long as we believe this, as long as we truly believe that God is in control, uh, we will have cause to rejoice. It's when we take our eyes off of the fact that God is still omniscient uh, that we begin to lose our joy. And you can mark this down. Spiritual maturity can be determined by the ease with which one's joy is quickly diminished. I'll give that to you one more time. And uh, uh, spiritual maturity can be determined by the ease with which one's joy is quickly diminished. And so if you want to ask yourself just how spiritually mature am I, think back to it for a moment at how quickly you can lose your joy. That's a, it's a, it's a big thing for us to really focus in on. We want to uh, get this right because I, it, my desire is not to remain the same spiritual uh, person that I am today, tomorrow. I want to be more spiritually mature today than I was yesterday. And I want to be more spiritually mature tomorrow than I am today. And so this, this growth, this spiritual growth, uh, comes uh, as I as I grow and as I understand who Christ is, and as I do understand who God is, I understand His power and, who, uh, and his, uh, his might, and I understand exactly the one that is in control, my joy begins to, to become greater and greater, and it's a whole lot easier to lose my joy when I see Him. You see, Paul can make the following statements that we're getting ready to read. Because of the Philippians' maturity. They were spiritually mature, and because of that, he was now able to talk to them in a different way. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 12, and we'll read through verse 20. It says, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, 
that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Christ be magnified. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Get that verse 20 there. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by death or by life. Let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, that You would bless uh, the reading of Your Word. God, that You would have it to penetrate our hearts. And that, Father, our uh, attention would be arrested for a moment. And that, God, in heaven, You would be seen gloriously lifted high. Father, we are uh, sometimes finding ourselves at a lack of words. And Lord, often in times of trouble, we don't fully know what to say. But I'm so thankful, Lord, that the Spirit of the living God resides in me, making utterance. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that this time would be a sweet time. That as we get into Your Word, You would remind us of just how faithful You are. And we'll be careful to praise You for that, Lord. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. So let's take a look at a few things in this passage because, I, 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 again, I told you this last week, and I believe it bears repeating. I had not planned on being in the book of Philippians at this time. I'd actually planned on being elsewhere, but uh, over the course of the last uh, couple months, the Lord was kind of impressing upon me the need to do something a little, uh, uh, pointing people toward joy. Maybe it was because uh, after Nehemiah's study, I was licking my wounds rather ferociously and uh, I kind of felt a little beat up on uh, during the study of Nehemiah. And maybe, I, maybe it was just me that felt the need for joy, or a, a reminder of the joy that we can have in the Lord. But I, I felt the Lord kind of impressing me, go toward uh, the book of Philippians. And you cannot beat the leading of the Spirit of God. And, and I think that the message of Philippians here from the Apostle Paul is a very timely message to us today. 
And so I want to point out a few things in this passage. If you'll look with me at verse 12, it says, uh, Paul writes this, he says, But I would ye should understand. This word for uh, uh, where he says, but I would that you would understand, indicates, the wording there indicates that perhaps Paul is writing to clear up some misunderstandings. And, and as we look at this, uh, we need to realize that Paul is writing to the Philippians from prison. And uh, the, the, uh, if you were to jump, actually, let's just do this. Jump over to chapter number 4 and uh, look at a couple verses here in chapter 4. Uh, look, at verse, um, look, at, look at verse 18. Uh, but I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Uh, if you'll notice there, apparently while Paul was in prison, this church in Philippi sent uh, maybe a care package of some sort uh, to the Apostle Paul. And as Epaphroditus is delivering this, now uh, perhaps he also offers his condolences on behalf of the church there, on behalf of the believers in Philippi. And they were offering to him condolences due to his imprisonment. And it's an interesting thing, if you think about it for just a moment, how often do we do the same thing? We, uh, we, we see someone going through a struggle, they're going through a difficult time, and we offer our condolences. And please don't misunderstand me. That the, I'm not saying that we should never offer condolences to someone who is going through a difficult time. We should never say, you know, I, I, I'm sorry that you're going through this or anything along those lines. But if you read over and over in Scripture, and think about it in the book of James, James says this, he says that uh, uh, the uh, uh, tribulation works patience. And that there's this going to be this perfecting that takes place. And God is trying to make us complete through the trials that we're going through. And so we want to be careful with this, that as we offer sympathy to someone, we don't also uh, dis uh, distract or take away from what God is trying to do in and through that situation. Because we must remember, God is not surprised or shocked in, 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 in what's taking place in the world. He's not sitting up in heaven looking down going, Oh, I didn't know Paul was in prison. That, daggone it, that's going to mess my plan. No! God knows what He's doing. And He understands that based on what He is allowing to take place in the believer's life, He is going to bring a better good on the other side of this. And so perhaps Epaphroditus, as he is offering his sympathies, maybe he forgot <laughs> not to put the emphasis on what was taking place as in, i.e., the bad, Paul, you're in prison, and forgot to put emphasis on the good. God is still in control, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do as he's working in this. Notice, too, the drive and the maturity of the Apostle Paul in this. He says, But I would uh, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. If you were to go back to the book of Galatians, just a few pages before this, Galatians chapter number 2. Look what Paul has to say about this, because I don't want you to miss the drive and the spiritual maturity of the Apostle Paul in making certain that every part of his life is lived for, for the person of Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 2, and look with me at verse number 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you'll notice there, he says, I'm dead. (laughs) I am crucified with Christ. When I place my trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I reckon myself to have died that day on the cross as well. And he says, nevertheless, I'm still alive, but it's not my life. It's Christ's life to live through me. So everything that I do in my life, every word that I say, every place that I go, every act that I perform must be with this in mind that I am not living my life any longer. I am living a life for Jesus Christ. I am living, uh, if you want to look at it this way, many parents, you know, think about the, the, the parents who uh, maybe dad wanted to be a football star or, or mom wanted to be the... Uh, uh, the cheerleader or what have you. And, and, and they live vicariously through their children. And, and you know, little, poor little Johnny, he really doesn't like football. He kind of hates football, but dad wants him to go to football. And he's living vicariously through him. But wouldn't it be amazing if we would allow the creator of the universe to not live out his dashed dreams for himself, but to live out His dreams for us, through us. Live out His desire and His will. And this is what we want to get get, get an understanding of. When I I become a child of God, I have been bought with a price. And Paul lets us know this. You're not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify the Father through your body. You know, I... (laughs) Paul, he made it very clear. He says, whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, let God be praised. Let God be magnified. Let Christ be lifted up and exalted. And many times in situations like what we're focusing on today with all the different things that are going on around the world and people are, people are stressed and people are concerned and people... And, and, and I understand, I'm not trying to tell you, oh, you're, you're a sinner, you're a horrible person. No, listen to me. Understand this. Our focus should not be on what's taking place around us. Our focus should remain. And this is an opportunity for our focus to be even driven further toward the person of Jesus Christ because God never changes. The problems that are around us will change. Listen, this will pass. And guess what? Tomorrow we'll have something else for us to deal with. (laughs) A few hundred years ago, people were dealing with the plague. Not too many years ago, people were dealing with H1N1, the swine flu, the bird flu, scabies, whatever. People are always going to have something to concern themselves about. But understand this, the same God that was around in the first century while the Christians were being persecuted and literally sewn up into the bodies of animals and thrown into the Colosseum, fed to lions, crucified, burnt alive, The same God that was there that saw the church through that is the same God of today who will see us through these situations. And so people, are, are are you worried anymore? To be honest with you, no. I'm excited. 
I'm excited to see what God is going to do. And, and, and as I look at this and I, I start to understand, man, God is trying to do something. He is, he is putting people out of their comfort zone. I, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And, and I've said it many times before, God in heaven do whatever it takes to make the church great again, to get your name proclaimed in this world again. And if it takes us not being able to meet in person for a little while and us get the gospel onto the internet where it needs to be, where maybe it's not been yet and there's been a little bit of it here or there and every but now everybody's trying to get online and the gospel is being proclaimed god use whatever you need to get your name lifted up that's honestly my prayer well pastor andy don't you want people coming to church absolutely but you know more than more than that i want them to know jesus christ well pastor andy don't you want people coming uh, to fellowship with one another? Absolutely. But more than that, I want the name of Christ to be magnified, lifted up, elevated. More so than Liberty Bible Church's name. And definitely not my name. I want the name of Christ elevated. Let's continue to look a little bit further here. I want you to notice verse 13 with me. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, (laughs) notice where it's manifest, in the palace and in all other places. Whoa. If you understand what he's actually saying, you'll see what is being magnified, what is being lifted up. In my bonds, Christ... My bonds in Christ are manifest. Here's what's being seen. The world around him is seeing his attachment to Jesus Christ. Catch that. Is the world around us today seeing our attachment to our local church? It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Don't misunderstand me. But before they see us attached to this building... They need to see us attached to Him. Primarily. That is first and foremost. Just because Christ said a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, does not negate that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, love your neighbor. I love my church family. I love my church family with a passion that I cannot explain. But before I introduce people to my church family, I want to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul would not neglect his devotion to Christ in exchange for his freedom. At any moment, Paul could have just stopped. It probably would have been free to go along about his business. And so the world around saw, man, this guy really does love Jesus. What's interesting is as people see the attraction that people have for for someone else, it makes you want to know more about them. 
Now, okay, let's get let's get worldly for just a minute. I'll be I'll be transparent. Have you ever looked and and maybe you've seen and, and come on, I'm not the only one that does this. Don't stare at me like a bunch of pious gas bags. You're gonna sit there. Y'all are in your home. Most of you are probably most most of you are probably still in your pajamas. So let's just be let's just be real with one another, okay? All right, I'm gonna be real with you. You can be real with me. And you, most of you are probably going to thank God nobody can actually see me because I your hair if you have hair is like over here. And you haven't even touched the makeup, you know, yoga pants galore. You know, it's like everybody just sitting there with their remote. You know what I mean? Now this is church. And when you all finally do come back to church, people are going to be wanting like lazy boys in the in the auditorium. You know, let's get a couch in here, right? So let me be honest with you. Have you ever have you ever noticed a maybe a a, a a couple, and you've got you got this girl with this guy, and you're looking and, and you're going. What in the world does she see in him? You ever, you ever see that? Oh, come on. I'm not the only one, right? You, you do the same thing. So you're looking, you're going, what in the world does she see in that guy? I mean, whew, he's hard on the eyes. That's what everybody does when they look at me and Sarah. They're like, my goodness, what was she thinking? And, and so then, then you start to think to yourself, well, you know, I got to figure this thing out, you know? And, and once you get to know the young man, you know more about him. And you understand why she likes him. You understand because you, you get to know something about his personality, who he is, how he is, how he treats her maybe. And you start to understand, oh, that's what she sees in him. Let's bring it back to the spiritual now. What does your attachment to Christ tell people about Christ. I I am I hurt because I long to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I'm attached to him. And I hurt because you're not able to be here. But I want you attached to him before you're ever attached to me, to this body, to this building, I want you attached to Him. And I want the world to see that. Note that it is through the persecution and the trouble that the gospel was seen at work. Verse 13, he says, So in my bonds that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all of the places. Do you realize that he's talking about Caesar's own home? He's talking about in Caesar's own home. (laughs) You know, the most productive time of the church, the most productive period of the church was the first couple hundred years. And what was taking place during that time? It was, the, it was the fastest growth during those days and, and, and the days of the martyrs, the fastest growth of the church took place. And it was during the days where people were being killed and, 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 and we talk about persecution today. Oh, I'm not allowed to say Merry Christmas. People want me to say Happy Holidays. That's not persecution. These people were being burnt to death. And he says, in the palace, 
the gospel is being heard. If you think about much of Caesar's family, they were a wicked bunch of people. If you've never read any of the uh, Greek historians, Roman historians, I encourage you to do so. I enjoy reading one by the name of Tacitus. Uh, I, I like to read some of what he says. He, he, is, he is not a Christian writer. He is writing uh, as a historian of what's taking place in those days. And I love reading what he has to say about the different things that are taking place because you don't get a biased opinion. <laughs> you get it laid out for you, right, at, at what's going on. And to hear them talk about the, the Caesars, <laughs> whoo, there's a wicked bunch of people. And in our mind, we think to ourselves, man, not a one of those people, probably a child of God. Paul said, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. Well, Pastor Andy, that just means that people knew about it. Go over one more time to Philippians chapter number 4, please. Philippians chapter number 4. And we're going to get into this more as we get to, to the end of this book. But Paul is closing his book here in Philippians chapter 4, his, his letter. He says in verse 21, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with you, with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Catch this next phrase. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Now some could argue that that was just servants, but I argue that it was in the house of Caesar. The gospel made its way there. I'm not saying Caesar was saved. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is the gospel may have made it to one of his nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, wife, daughters, the gospel of Jesus Christ can reach anyone, anywhere. I want you to notice something else here. Look at verse 14. And many of my brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Go, go back to the book of Acts with me, if you would. Uh, the book of Acts gives us a little bit of an understanding of what's... Uh, what exactly is taking place? You see, Paul was chosen by God for this ministry. Paul was actually chosen by God for what he's going through right now in this passage. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse, um, look at verse 16 with me. This is uh, when God is talking to Ananias. Paul had uh, been given... Uh, the, had seen the light as he was traveling, uh, had seen the light and he was blinded. And then he was, you know, Paul, uh, uh, God says, you know, Jesus said, Paul, Paul, why persecutest thou me? Verse 16, God is talking to Ananias. And he says, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see that? Paul knew. He was going to suffer. But even beyond that, go back one verse to verse number 15. 
The Lord said unto him, talking again, this is God talking to Ananias. He's telling him about Paul. He says, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. (laughs) Up to this stage of the game, no one had presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to a king. And until Paul was arrested, he hadn't. And can you imagine if, if you knew your calling, you knew God had called you to preach to kings, or maybe in our situation to presidents or governors or whomever it may be. And, and, and God says, this is going to be your calling. And so Paul is going around wondering, when am I going to preach to a king? When am I going to preach to a king? And he goes and he preaches to person after person, people after people, group after group. And then all of a sudden, he is arrested. And it's like, oh no, I'm arrested. Now what's going to happen? No, Paul didn't do that. He rejoiced. He says, I'm going to get in front of somebody. You go back to the beginning, back in Acts, where when Paul first started to uh, preach there in Philippi. We looked at that last week. And here's Paul. He is in prison, and he's not worried about it. And he, he could have... He had spoken by this point. He had spoken to Festus, to Felix, to Agrippa. And he was, he was able to be let go. He was going to be just sent away. And he says, no, I appeal to Caesar. What? Paul, are you a madman? No. Because he knew what God wanted him to do. I made this statement last week, and I want you to I want you to grasp it that the man of God, as long as he is in God's will, is invincible. That doesn't mean that. Okay, since I'm since I'm in God's will, I'm going to go walk to the top of the church and I'm going to climb a steeple and I'm going to jump off because I'm invincible. Come on, that's not in God's will. Let's not be crazy about some of this stuff. But as long as I'm doing what God has asked me to do, as long as I'm following Jesus Christ and His call in my life, I, there's nothing for me to worry about. Now that doesn't mean that I'm stupid. I'm still wise. Uh, you know, my wife and I started uh, uh, eating differently. I, I, I've lost 40 pounds, and I'm thinking, oh, praise the Lord, I need to lose some more, and I'm trying to get in shape. Well, how would you do that? Bodily exercise profiteth little. Yeah, but it doesn't say it doesn't profit at all. <laughs> and I want to make sure that I'm able to be healthy to be able to do what God has called me to do. Now, God's people, because of this in verse 14, they saw that Paul was called to preach to the kings and the rulers. They saw that Paul was uh, told he was going to suffer. And they're seeing his suffering. They're seeing his imprisonment. They're seeing his bonds. But they're seeing the great thing that's taking place as a result of this. And they become bold. Verse 14 there again of Philippians chapter 1 says, And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They're seeing, my goodness, Paul's arrested. Think about this for a minute. 
When Paul was in prison, if you were to study what took place there while he was in prison, it was a depending on the historian and the commentary that you commentator that you look at. Uh, there was a, a, there were different guards that would have been attached to Paul for different amounts of the day. And let's just go with the uh, the basic of about six hours. And so you'd have guards attached to Paul, watching Paul for about six hours a day. And then after that six hours, you'd have two more or three more or a whole garrison, a group of people coming in. And you'd have these people that were attached and responsible to watch over Paul that entire day. And, and, and the, the, the human mind says, man, he couldn't get a moment's rest. But Paul's mind was, I got another audience. And here he is, day after day after day for hours. Let me tell you why I'm here. Let me tell you what's going on. Folks, <laughs> people are getting cabin fever. And they're looking for stuff to do. Give them Christ. Give them Jesus. Next time you get a, one of those telemarketers call, before you just slam the phone down, why don't you tell them, I'll listen to yours if you listen to mine. I'll give you five minutes, you give me five minutes. I'll give you five more minutes, you give me five minutes. And let's just go back and forth. Matter of fact, I'll listen to you for a half hour. You listen to me for a half hour. You know what a lot of people don't know is, and I'm, and I'm probably getting ready to make a lot of telemarketers mad right now, and if this is your job, I'm not sorry. But they're technically not allowed to hang up. So brother, put the plow down and don't pull it up until the gospel has been uprooted. Get it in there. Get it in there. Now, that's just a side note. You can take that and do what you want to with it later. But let's look at uh, something else in this. Look at verses 15 to 17. So some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. The other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding... Every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Now, I want, you to, I want you to see something in this. Paul speaks more about this later, more about the whole envy and strife uh, situation. He speaks more to that later. But note the point at hand. Some were preaching the true gospel, but bitterly. That's what he says. Now, you'll notice there, some indeed preach Christ of, of envy and strife. And we'll, we'll look at this envy and strife thing later. But I just want you to see some indeed preach Christ. Now, if you were to go back into the book of Galatians, and we had just finished our study in Galatians, uh, if you were to go back there, you'd see how Paul does not equate the Judaizers' gospel as the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does not even claim that what they're preaching is Christ. He says it's another gospel. He says it's a false doctrine. 
And so he is not making that same statement here about these people. He's saying that they're preaching Christ. They're just doing it with bitterness in their heart. Notice this, that some preaching the gospel, the true gospel, but bitter, while others were preaching the true gospel and defending Paul at the same time. We need to take caution with this. We need to take caution because oftentimes we look at other people as they're presenting Christ. And we look at, well, they're doing it a way that I wouldn't do it. I don't like the way that they're coming about this. I don't like the style of music that they have. I don't like the version. Now, let's stop for a minute, okay? As long as they're preaching Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, let them answer to God, not me. Not you. Let them answer to God for that. Let them answer to God for how they're, how they're going about it. You know, there are people that I see that, yes, they are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I, I, I'm excited to see that. But I look at them and go, man, you're not doing it very lovingly. Listen, that's not my business. What I ought to do is I ought to learn from that and say, well, I'm going to do it this way. But Paul, he points to the Philippians and he says, he points, points out to the Philippians uh, that these that are preaching Christ uh, of empty and strife and some of goodwill, the one preach Christ of contention and not sincerely, supposing to add to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. We've got to take caution in this and we need to be careful. As long as they hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, the deity of Christ, salvation by grace alone, by the person of Jesus Christ alone, through faith, not of works, and lest any man should boast, as long as that's the maintained uh, focus, as long as that's where we're heading with this, don't worry about the rest of it, be grateful and praise the Lord that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. They not be carrying around the same book you want them to carry. They may not be reading the same or singing the same songs you want to sing, but praise be to God, Jesus is magnified. That's what Paul says. These were people that were, were, they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and insulting that person Paul in prison. Huh. kind of preacher is that? And others were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and trying to defend Paul. No, no, no. Preach the gospel. I've seen a lot of stuff on Facebook and on YouTube and everywhere else recently. No self-respecting preacher would do this. No self-respecting preacher would do that. Listen. I answer to God. And I want him to be seen, not me. And so let's get our eyes off of everything else in this world and put them on Jesus. Last thing there in verse 18 through 20. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, 
so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. We're going to get into that just a little bit more as we continue our study in Philippians, but right now what I want to point out is Paul was not concerned about what others were doing. And that's what he was trying to get the Philippians to focus in on. He says, I'm not worried about what they're doing, what they're doing, what that church says, what this church says, what that preacher's doing, what that preacher says over there. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is Christ being glorified in my body. Christ. That's the focus. Not concerned about what others are doing. He's concerned about the gospel being proclaimed. He rejoiced. That Christ was made much of. So church family, let me, let, me, let me talk specifically here for just a minute about what's taking place in our world today. I can take the attitude, woe is me, I am undone. I'm not able to meet on Sunday mornings. Or I can rejoice. Hey, <laughs> we, went to, we, we were trying to get the stream up and running this morning. And YouTube was overloaded. Let that sink in. Their servers, one of the biggest, one of the biggest uh, uh, online platforms in the world, is overrun with the gospel. And if that doesn't want to make you jump up in your living room, wave a hanky, and say praise the Lord, nothing can. So I'm excited about last-minute changes. I'm excited that our lives are being disrupted for just a moment. Whether in here or online. Christ is proclaimed. And that's exciting. It's exciting. Just a couple of uh, notes of application here and we'll be finished. Based on verse 12, he says, But I would that ye understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. The question I ask myself is, do I see everything that happens in my life as something that can advance the gospel? Or do I only see the problems around me? Oh, what are we going to do with this, Pastor? We're going to wait and see what the gospel accomplishes because of it. Verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. What what is known to others by your response and attitude toward adversity? What is known to others? Do they see the size of your problems? Do they, see, uh, do they see the faith that you have in God? Do they see God's faithfulness on display? Do they see your attachment to Jesus Christ? Beloved, listen to me. If they see anything in us 
It should not be complaining about some politician, complaining about some employer, complaining about some uh, foreign uh, entity, complaining. No, no, no. What they need to see is Jesus Christ being lifted up during this time. Above it all. Now is not the time for negative Nancys. Now is the time to proclaim Christ. It's always the time to proclaim Jesus, but especially at times of adversity. And last, what is my attitude toward Christ's gospel being proclaimed? That's not my way of doing it, preacher. I don't like all this online stuff. What are they saying about us and what decision we've made? Listen, may Christ be proclaimed and let's get ourselves out of the way for just a minute. And as we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face and we want the things of this earth to grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. Church, I love you. And folks, what I desire more than anything is for Liberty Bible Church to be a beacon and a lighthouse. And just because we're not meeting on site for a little while does not mean we have turned the light off. It's foggy. And now's the time that the light needs to shine brighter than it ever has. How are we going to do that?